Ah, sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Well, Dan, the U.S. Congress has just declared that ISIS and its attacks on Christians and Yazidis and even Shia Muslims constitutes genocide. And there's another dimension to this whole conflict that that most are not aware of. The religious dimension, yes, we, we dimly grasp that, but there's also a prophetic dimension, an eschatological dimension, to throw out a big word. Here to talk about it is the founder and director of Islam and Christianity and Prophecy, islamandchristianity.org, Pastor Tim Rosenberg. Tim, uh, great to have you on Freedom's Ring today. Good to be with you, Alan. So, in addition to wanting to establish this uh, political entity known as a caliphate, uh, ISIS actually has some very definite views on last day events. Isn't that right? Yes. Well, actually, a caliphate is both a geopolitical and a religious uh, movement. Sure. Uh, and, and I think most Americans understand that it is, of course, a religious movement. But I want to explore what most Americans don't understand, which is the, the end-time expectations of Islam. You know, there's a lot of end-time ideas floating around Christianity and a lot of differences of of how things shape up. Many of them involve some sort of apocalyptic battle in the Middle East, Uh, but the the Muslims also have their own version of apocalyptic battles in the Middle East, don't they? They surely do. So tell us about them. Okay, the Sunni variety of apocalyptic views and the and ISIS is Sunni, right? ISIS is Sunni, and so your ISIS Sunni belief is that there will be a war in Syria, and that eventually there will be eighty nations that will be gathered together in a coalition to fight against them. They will be reduced to about five thousand fighters in or around the city of Dabiq. Uh, at that point, the uh, Allah, or God, will come in and help them. They will then defeat the invaders and the coalition that is against them. They will take over the world and force the world to become either Muslim or die. And Jesus will uh, kill an Antichrist or a Dajjal-type character in around Jerusalem. And Jesus will help the Christians convert over to become Muslims. And as I said, in all the world will be Islamic. And so that's their basic view. But they also intend to eventually move the caliphate. Uh, most of the Sunnis intend to see the end-time caliphate capital being in Al-Quds, otherwise known as Jerusalem. Wow. So Ted Cruz, I'm informed, has made a campaign promise to move the American embassy to Jerusalem and declare Jerusalem the capital, uh, and uh, so everybody has designs on Jerusalem, it would seem. Well, Alan, you know that I focus on Daniel 11, and since the time of the divided Greek empire, Jerusalem has been caught in the middle, 
and it will be in the middle of a holy war between Islam and Christianity. And everything that I've been saying for years and putting a book in 2011 is step by step happening. You know, uh, you and I have had very, very narrow differences in, in how we view these things. Because on, on the larger picture, uh, I've been in agreement with you. Right. And, uh, you know, as, as we're trying to look at what prophecy says about the future, of course, it's difficult to pin things down precisely. And, and of course, there's need for some humility. Yes. And, and what have you. Oh. But yeah, there's always <laughs> there's always some variation that you've got to correct along the line. We're human, <laughs> and and of course we need to be open to the to the moving of the spirit. Now, okay, so I was doing a Google Maps here, Dubik. Uh, once you expand the map, it disappears. It's it's not a prominent place. No, it's uh, somewhere north of Aleppo in Syria. Um, what what can you tell us about this place that? Uh, that the Sunnis, I mean, it's basically their version of the Battle of Armageddon, right? Well, yeah, but they win it in their viewpoint. It's the turning point, and they're actually counting the number of nations that are allied against them. Uh, you know, I know it's 60-something the last I checked. I just noticed when John Kerry talked about the genocide when he made the Department of State declaration, he said there were 66 nations already in a coalition against the Islamic State, and they're looking for 80. So they're really excited whenever they can get more people angry and, and upset with them, uh, any kind of terrorist attack in Europe or wherever, uh, adds to the punch. And so this city, the reason for its importance is it's in some of the Muslim writings that this is where the final battle or the turn is going to be. And so they're trying to get 80 nations or more attacking them there. And so, you know, I mean, what strikes me, and, and you and I have discussed this before, but what strikes me is that this problem that we have with, uh, you know, Sunni-inspired terrorism, and here we are in the studio recording just a few hours after news broke of terrorist attacks in in Belgium, uh, and and more deaths attributed to to terrorism. Um, there's no halfway measures here. No, and you know Ted Cruz, I know, has already come out, and his simple statement part of way through his discussion was enough is enough, and you're getting one correspondent after another, or one talking head after another on the news stories is saying you've got to go in and just wipe them out. And that's exactly what they want these nations to do, is to try and come and wipe them out. And yes, you would think they're discouraged right now because they're losing, uh, you know, their numbers are going down in the area of Syria. But they're excited because, remember, they're supposed to get down to 5,000 before God helps them. Well, and, you know, this is the thing. When, when you're absolutely convinced that God is on your side, uh, you know, we've got lots of Bible stories about, uh, the Jews conquering enemies of, you know, totally outnumbered. Um, so, you know, numbers don't count if you've got God on your side. And the children of Israel sometimes thought that way too, but they went off on their own and got terribly beaten. And the same thing is probably about to happen to the Islamic State. Well, that's certainly the hope that, that you know, we have in the West is that uh, we can eliminate the Islamic State as... Uh, 
as a terrorist threat. Um, you know, I'd like to turn the discussion, though, now that we have some grasp of the Islamic views of this sort of uh, apocalyptic battle in the plains of, of Syria, um, there is some, and, and, and of course, as Christians, we think this is a, a, a false view of prophecy. Um, there's also some Christian views of prophecy that are equally dangerous, don't you think? Oh, definitely. Um, again, I'm going to go to Daniel 11. It describes three conflicts uh, between Islam and Christianity. The first is the Crusades, the second, the time of the Ottoman Empire, the third, the time of the end. And both of them kill and uh, lie and do whatever to get their way, and both sides are wrong when they use those techniques in this prophecy. So I'm seeing the same problem happening all over again. Christians are by and large turning to the desire for military action to win, which is understandable in these attacks. But I'm trying to remind Christians, Christianity is never going to win when it uses the same tools. Christianity was powerful in the first 200 years when it didn't use the force of military. It took over the world in a major sense before they started using weaponry in favor of Christianity. And once the Roman Empire and Christianity started to merge, true Christianity and the power of Christianity diminished considerably. So just to be clear on where I'm coming from, I want to separate the kind of spiritual, religious, prophetic view from the subject of American foreign policy. Okay. Okay, because um, whatever our nation decides to do or not to do in, in terms of use of force and dealing with ISIS, you know, that's one question. But uh, what we see in prophecy is the enthusiasm that Christians will have for an apocalyptic battle in the Middle East. Right. And that we may very well um, energize aggressive foreign policy uh, in favor of what will eventually become, at least in the minds of, of some believers, the Battle of Armageddon, which they see as inevitable. Yes, and it is a real danger because we have Christians that are ready to go to war for God, and, and more and more Christians are teaching that the Antichrist is Islamic. And you have Muslims basically saying that the Christian side's of the devil, and that's setting up a holy war, which is the most unholy of all wars. Oy vey. So, see, this is a thing. You know, I don't know what the best foreign policy is. So I'll, I'll start with that sort of agnosticism, but what I know can't be good is that we have both sides with a religious motivation to create the Battle of Armageddon. Yeah. And I think that's the concern why I've been so eager to do this program, and it seems like, you know, the devil has stalled us a time or two. We're finally getting to record this. Uh, but it seems like we're being driven almost uh, unwittingly, whether we like it or not, into some kind of enormous military conflagration in, uh, in the Middle East. From a worldly perspective, there is probably no way out. Because the Islamic State 
wants a holy war, and if you leave them alone, they'll keep getting worse. And if you attack them, that's just what they want you to do and will get worse. And so we are looking at an almost no-win situation for a holy war here. Well, our current administration has pursued a what I would describe as a somewhat cautious policy. Um, you know, people can be their own judge how effective it's been. Um, but yes, I'm I'm very concerned, and I guess if there's a takeaway, it's for our listeners not to be deceived into thinking that if this battle takes place, that it really is the Battle of Armageddon. It's not. This is the third conflict in Daniel 11, not the Battle of Armageddon. And you and I are going to need to do another program to explain to our listeners what the real Battle of Armageddon is. I've actually done... Uh, a show you can probably find it on our SoundCloud or uh, on uh, on our iTunes library. I've done a discussion of what Armageddon really is, but this ain't it. But I think most of the world is going to think it is. I agree, and and that's where the danger of deception lies. Yes. Well, Tim, I'm very grateful for the work that you've been doing. IslamandProphecy.org, folks, check it out. Uh, this is serious stuff. And, uh, you know, the danger of deception, Jesus warned in the last days, would be so great as to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. That's you and me. I'm very grateful to our guest today, Tim Rusenberg. Uh, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today, Tim. Thank you. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom, we help those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. Thank you for listening, and Freedom's Ring is now available on SoundCloud on the internet. Check out our Freedom's Ring SoundCloud radio station. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let Freedom Ring.